All right, well, this morning we are continuing our Indeed series, uh, where we talk about being free indeed. Uh, but you can't really know how to be free indeed unless you know that you can actually be bound. Uh, and you know that there's things that can bind you. And so last week we talked about one of the ways that we can be bound, which is pride. We talked about pride as taking the light off of Jesus and pointing it onto ourselves or pointing it onto something else. Uh, I want to make a clarifying point, something that was brought up a couple of times this past week, just so we're all on the same page. That does not mean that it's a sin to be proud of your kids or be proud of your family, be proud of your sports teams. That's not what it means. The, the problem is not the word. It's not the word pride that's the problem. It's the heart behind it. Uh, and so when it comes to pride, of course you can be proud of your kids and you can be proud of your grandkids and you can be proud when the Cowboys win because it doesn't happen that often. I'm going to be proud. But the main thing is that my heart and my light is still set on Jesus. Those other things are just excess things in my life that he's blessed me with, and I can be proud of those things and thankful for those things, but everything still ultimately points to Jesus. So, clarifying point from last week, um, <laughs> it is not wrong to be proud of your kids. It's good to be proud of your kids. good to be proud when the Cowboys win. We just love it. We talked about how pride makes us depend on our strength and our righteousness and our wisdom. Um, we've got a few more weeks of this series. I want to tell you, you really don't want to miss uh, we're going to be talking about some hard stuff over the next couple of weeks, some very uncomfortable topics. Today is one of them. You're going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to be uncomfortable. It's good. But you really don't want to miss. I know we've got a lot of people that are getting their last, last vacation in. School's about to start. If you're missing, watch online. Uh, but today we are talking about Open Door 2. Today's sermon is called Open Door 2. We're going to be in a lot of Scripture, a lot of Scripture. But you can turn to these four uh, if you're going to turn anywhere. But we will be in a lot more than that that you can write down as we get there. <laughs> I also want to offer a clarifying scripture. Um, I had a question come up this week. Somebody asked, well, why are we talking? Because I've got three specific weeks lined up that we're talking about three specific open doors. Last week was pride. This week is one, and then, and then we'll have another one. <laughs> and somebody was asking me why, and here's why. If you want to go ahead and turn to that. Passage in 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, watch this, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has done, what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Often this is translated as the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. The, this has to be a pretty big deal for the Bible to call these three things out specifically. So last week we talked about the pride of life. This week we're going to talk about the lust of the eyes. And then next week we're talking about the lust of the flesh. This week kids are welcome to stay in here. Next week we're going to ask kids to leave uh, because it's a little bit more sensitive of a, of a subject. But the Bible specifically lists these three things when it comes to being in bondage. These three things, pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. So that's why we're covering these, these three topics. <coughs> and these are not the only open doors. These are not the only three things that if you do these three things, it's bad news, but anything else is permissible. No, but these are ones that the Bible lays out very specifically in one verse, which means we need to look at it and take it pretty seriously. Uh, this word is made for us so that we can grow and that we can be who we're supposed to be. So we've got to take what it says seriously. All right, there are three main identifying factors when it comes to what is the lust of the eyes. Number one is greed. Genesis 3, verse 1. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will surely die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. All right, stop right there. The first thing that the enemy does, and what he wants to do in your life and what he's still trying to do today, is he's trying to cast doubt on what God actually said. He's trying to make us rethink, did God really say that? And that's what he still does today, and that's what, he, that's what got Adam and Eve to fall. He directly contradicts God's word. And he makes Eve question God's motive and if God actually said that. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, watch this, your eyes will be opened. We're talking about lust of the eyes. Your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This talks about a lot of eyes. We've got to realize there's a correlation here. Satan wants us to doubt what God has said. The word pleasant here, it says Eve saw the fruit and it was pleasant to the eye. The word pleasant literally translates to lust or greed. That word right there. It was pleasing to the eye. This woman was caught up in something. She thought that something else was going to fulfill her. Something that did not belong to her. Something she was told not to take. She took. That's greed. That's where this comes in. This is the first door that man opened. Last week we talked about pride. That was the first door that was ever opened. Satan had pride. He was kicked from heaven down. That was the first door ever. This is the first door that man opened. And it's one of the most common doors that we open and that we fall into. Today we're going to talk about a very uncomfortable subject. It's a, it's a subject that no one likes when the pastor says. Uh, but it's important. And, and I'm going to lay out a bunch. That's why there's so much scripture today. Because I don't want you to think any of this is just coming from my brain and things that I want to say. This is straight scripture. And so if there's things that you're like, well, Landon, I, don't, I hate that. Then I'll say well, give, give God a ring. <laughs> he obviously listens, so just call him and, and ask him, talk to him about it, but he, he knows better than I do. We're going to talk about the uncomfortable subject that relates to generosity and giving. Um, know this, every time a pastor talks about giving, everyone, like, he's about to ask for more money. You know, I'm not. I'm not. You can put your wallets up. We're not doing another tithe today. What's funny is, and this is completely ironic, that we're having the Uganda meal today. That was not planned. This, this sermon has been planned for weeks. And then last week I heard that we were doing that as a, as a donation for the Uganda trip. There's no coincidences with God. He's so good. And he's just tricky. He just had us all working together, and we had no idea that it was going to be the same week. This is so important. Greed is the first door that man opened. We look at something and say, I have to have that. That's something I have to have. One of the most common ways that we leave the door of greed open in our lives is when we choose not to tithe. One of the most common ways, and I'm going to say this, and again, I'm going to back it up because I don't want you to think I'm just saying this out of me and out of the fact that I work at a church. If you close every door in your life, every single door in your life, but you don't tithe, you've left a door open to the enemy. You close every single door, but you don't tithe, you've left a door open to the enemy. This is not about money. 
I'm not sitting, you know, the church, we're in great shape. I'm not, again, I'm not taking up another tithe. The roof is fine. Everything's fine here. We're not trying to fund anything. I'm trying to make sure that we're all on the same page because this is important, and I fear that people are under the influence of what the enemy is doing because we're not on the same page about what Scripture says regarding generosity and regarding giving. The first sin that man committed was tithe. It was, I mean, not was tithe, was greed. It was thieving what belonged to God. God said, you can have everything else in this garden except for this one tree. That one tree is mine. And we, we, humanity, thought, that's the one tree I have to have. Everything, I, I, I'll, I'm fine with that, but I have to have that. I have to have that one tree that I was told I wasn't supposed to have. That's greed. Did you know that 2.7% of evangelical Christians tithe? 2.7. That is a lot that don't tithe. That is a lot that are not a part of this. And I'm going to show you in Scripture why that's a problem. I want to explain what tithing is. Tithing in Deuteronomy 28 means one-tenth of your increase is what it says. One-tenth of your increase is what tithing is. And so, you know, when it was farmers and they didn't have any money but they just dealt everything via animals, they would give one-tenth of their animals of their increase of animals that they made, they would give that to the local church, to what was called the storehouse, which is a representation of the local church, one-tenth of the increase. And here's the reality. Tithing is not for God. It's for you. I'm going to say that again because you need to hear that. Tithing is not for God. It's for you. God's not lacking, okay? God's not sitting up in heaven and, like, there's potholes in the golden road, and he's like, oh, no, (laughs) How are we going to fund that? How are we going to get this fixed? He's not, okay? He's like, okay, there we go. Pothole's fixed. He's not, they're not sitting up there like lacking good Chick-fil-A or something. And he's like, well, we can't afford it. They're not paying. So no, that's, not, that's not it. Tithing is for us. Tithing has to be for us. I'm going to show you in Scripture how. But 10, the number 10, always represents a test in Scripture. God is testing somebody with the number 10. We're going to do a little call and response real fast, real fast to wake you up and so that you can get involved. I'm going to ask a question, and you're going to respond. I just gave you the answer, so it's going to be okay. All right. How many plagues were there, and how many times did God test Pharaoh? Ten. God tested Israel how many times in the desert? Jacob's wages changed how many times? Daniel was tested how many times? How many virgins were tested? How many disciples were there? Boom. Yeah. That was a little bit tricky. i got to make sure y'all are staying awake. This is, this is fun. All right. Tithing is the test to see how much we honor and how much we trust God. That's what it boils down to. That's completely what it is. It's not that God really needs our money. It's that he wants to show himself and prove himself to us over and over and over again. The test is this. Do I believe that 90% of my income with God's blessing is better than 100% without God's blessing. That's what, it, that's what it's testing. And let me tell you what, he wins <laughs> every single time. The 90% with God's blessing will go further and further and further than the 100% without God's blessing. God blesses us when we live and when we, when we believe. <coughs> we live in faith and when we believe. Adam and Eve could have lived in faith. They could have trusted God in what he was saying. God said, this is what you don't need to do. But man in greed, had to have it. They had to have the one thing he said. And because of that, the enemy entered. That's just scripture. The enemy was able to move because man was greedy and did not listen. 
to God. When we choose to tithe, we are choosing to show God that we trust Him over what the enemy says. There's a difference between tithes and offerings. I want to say this. Tithes is 10% of your income, 10% of your increase, okay? Now, people have asked before, well, is that gross or net? Like, here's the deal. 2.7% of evangelical Christians are tithing. So it doesn't really matter if it's gross or net because the majority of people aren't doing it anyways. I would say bank on the high one because then when you get to heaven, you know you were right. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't mess up by giving too little, but tithes and offerings are different. Tithes are 10% of your increase. Offerings are anything on top of that. It's anything as a bonus. And so people have asked, well, can I give my tithe to a nonprofit? Can I give my tithe to World Vision or to, or to Food for the Hunger? Whatever. Can I give? Is that a tithe? Well, that's not a tithe. That's an offering. Tithe, biblically, again, in, De- in Deuteronomy 28, is supposed to bring 10% of your increase to the local storehouse, which, again, represents the church. 10% comes to the local church. Anything on top of that is an offering. And, and give it away. I, it's so good to give away money. If you feel like you're supposed to give money away to World Vision or feed, Food for the Hungry, do it. Absolutely do it. But that's not a tithe. It's an offering. And there's really only two things that you can do with the tithe. You can choose to steal it or you can choose to bring it to the storehouse. Those are the two things that it's allowed in Scripture. There's no other option. It's just those. But it's not just 10%. Exodus 23, verse 19. Twenty-three nineteen says this, Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord. Bring the best of your first fruits to the house of the Lord. It's not just 10%. It's the first 10%. And a lot of people think this doesn't make any difference. Well, I'm giving 10%, so why does it make a difference? Well, here's the deal. Scripturally, it makes a huge difference. Have you heard of Cain and Abel? If you haven't, we're about to read about it so you can hear. But this was the difference in life and death. Literally, this was the difference in life and death, bringing first fruits and and bringing uh, leftovers. There's a huge difference in giving 10% right off the top. It takes trust in God. It doesn't take trust after everything's been paid and after you're full and after you've got a bunch of snacks, then you give the excess 10%. That doesn't take trust. Anyone could do that. But it takes trust to give the first 10% when you don't know where the rest is going to come from. You don't know where you're going to pay the bills from. You don't know how you're going to pay for that car payment. That's when it takes trust. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. Cain and Abel, right here. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. He brought some. He just picked a few and brought them. Still, he brought them to the Lord, but he just picked a few. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what, do, if you do not do what is right, watch this. Sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must master it. Sin is crouching at the door. I cannot write that better myself. See, the problem is I think that people, whenever the pastor starts talking about money, it's just it's about the church, and it's about him, and he wants nice new shoes, by the way. <laughs> these are pretty average shoes, so you don't have to worry about that. But 
That's what we think it is. But I'm telling you that scripturally, what happens is, is God says, if you're not following this and bringing first fruits, sin is crouching at the door. It doesn't get much more clear than that. And we're just swinging the door open. We're swinging the door open because we don't necessarily believe it or we don't necessarily trust it. Cain brought some fruit. Abel brought the first fruit. And because of that, Cain had sin crouching at his door. And later, he kills Abel because of that. Because God had favor over Abel and not over Cain. And that meant death. The lust of the eyes is taking what doesn't belong to you. Um, Giving a first fruit in your tithe today actually looks a lot more simple than you think because we have a thing here at First Christian called Tithely, okay? And you can give online. My tithe comes out automatically out of my bank account, and it's the first thing that comes out. So I have it scheduled. So actually, often, my tithe comes out of my bank account before I've even put the check in my bank account. That's just how great it is. But it's the first thing. It's the first thing that's done. And if you don't pay online, then what you do is, the moment you get paid, you write a check. Fold that thing up. Put it in your Bible. Just wait. But it's supposed to be the first thing that we do. Because it takes faith and it takes trust to give the first 10%. The rest, it doesn't take as much trust. It doesn't take as much faith. It shows God that we trust Him. So the question with less of the eyes is, am I going to steal what's not mine? All right, number one is greed. Number two is unbelief. So why do people choose not to tithe? A lot of people believe that tithing is not for today. A lot of people say that tithing was a part of the Mosaic Law, and the Bible says that we're not under the law anymore. Well, here's a kind of sad reality. In Genesis 3, we're before Moses and we're before the law. Okay, This is prior to that. Tithing came before, before the law, which means it remains. Tithing is something that we still are supposed to do. It's not a part of the Old Covenant. It was before the Old Covenant. Also, tithing is in the New Testament. You, if you look up videos on, on tithe, you will find a bunch of people that are really, really mad that pastors talk about tithe. And you'll find a bunch of people that think, again, it's all about getting new shoes or it's about buying them a, a boat or something. And that's not what it is. People are really mad. And I've actually heard on a video this week, someone said, well, tithing is not in the New Testament. And I I was like, well, yeah, it is. (laughs) You can Google it. Tithe is in the New Testament eight times, and one of those times is Jesus talking. Tithe is in the New Testament eight times. For comparison, stealing is in the New Testament 11 times, and three of those are repeats. So if we think it's okay not to tithe because it's only in the New Testament eight times, that must mean it's okay to steal because it's only in the New Testament 11 times. There's, there's just no logic in that. We, we've tried to convince ourselves of this, <coughs> and there's just no logic. Satan wants us to believe that this is not for us. Joshua 7, verse 11. Again, we're in a lot of Scripture because I want you to see it. 7, verse 11 and 12. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand up against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. That makes it pretty clear. When we steal things from God, we can't stand against our enemies. We can't face a battle when we steal things from God. And that's, what, that's his words, okay? The Bible is God-breathed, and it's God-inspired. 
And so when we read things, we have to realize it's true for us. It's true for me. It's true for you. It's true for all of us. We can't stand if we're not willing to not steal from God. God wants to bless us. He wants to bless our finances. He really does. I'm going to read you some scriptures here in a little bit. God wants to bless your finances. He doesn't want you to like be struggling a lot. But God can't bless a thief. He can't. God can't bless a thief's finances. If the thief is stealing money, he can't bless that thief's finances. I'm going to say a very difficult statement. Don't throw things. Keep your shoes on. We are most like God when we give. And we are most like Satan when we steal. That's just the truth. God is the epitome of a giver. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. It's in his nature. It's in his character. We resemble God when we give. Satan is called a thief in Scripture more times than you can count. And he comes with three purposes, and the first one is to steal. We are most like God when we give, and we're most like Satan when we steal. If God wasn't generous, we would have nothing. We would have absolutely nothing. And I don't know that I want to look like God. I want to be a giver with my finances, with my life. We look most like God when we give. So the question is, who do we want to open the door to? Do we want to open the door to the thief, or do we want to open the door to the giver in our lives? That's the question. Something else we can choose to believe, um, because it's in Scripture. <coughs> God says, test me. One time in the Bible, he says, test me. It's okay to test me in this. And he's talking about tithing. He's talking about tithing. You can test me when it comes to your tithe. Matthew 3, verse 6. You always know when it's uncomfortable because there's less, amen, and hallelujah. Everyone's like, boo <laughs> Malachi 3, verse 6. Hmm? Did I say Matthew? Sorry, Malachi. I didn't mean Matthew. Malachi 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and in offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Listen, tithing is not for us. It's all His anyways. Every bit of your money is His anyways, okay? So it's, it's not really that God is sitting up there and needing your money. Tithing is for us, okay? It's not for God. It's for us. I think I just said that backwards, so I'm going to keep saying it one more time. Tithing is not for God. It's for us. And, God said, and you're sitting here saying, well, well, he says you rob me in tithes and offerings. Well, we do, but I want to tell you something. I don't think God is talking about we rob him of money. I think God is saying, and I'm going to show you, I think God is saying when you don't tithe, you rob me of an opportunity to pour out blessing on you. That's what you rob me of. He doesn't need our money. He could just snap his fingers and new gold roads are forming. He doesn't need it. But he's saying when you don't tithe, I don't have the opportunity to bless you in that. Right there, he says, 
when you don't tithe, I'm not going to put food in the storehouse. More importantly, he says, when you do tithe, there will be food in the storehouse. This is the church, a representation of the storehouse. I'm telling you what, I'm glad that we have a place we can come to, that we can learn about God, we can learn about His character, we can grow together. I'm glad there's food in this storehouse. I'm glad. And God says, when we don't tithe, that doesn't happen. He also says, test me in this. When you tithe, I'm going to pour out so much of a blessing that you can't even take it. You don't even have enough room for it. He's not talking about we're stealing from his money, we're stealing from his bank account. He's saying, when you don't tithe, I don't get to pour out that blessing. I don't get to pour out so much that you can't take it. When when we don't tithe, we're stealing God of an opportunity to bless us. We're stealing that from him. And that's what he's saying. It's not about we're taking his money. He's saying we're stealing that opportunity away from him, and he wants to bless us. That's his heart is to bless us. He wants to prove prove himself to us. And it doesn't get much more clear than verse 11. He says, I'm going to rebuke the devourer that's taking over your your crops. I'm going to rebuke those pests. I'm going to rebuke them all. That's as plain as day. When we tithe, God sits there and he rebukes the one that's devouring our crops. All right, number one, greed. Number two, unbelief. Number three is fear. We are fearful when it comes to generosity. Uh, We often worry about our lack. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, But Judas, Judas Iscariot was an interesting little character in the New Testament who betrayed Jesus, uh, and he betrayed Jesus for money. I believe that Judas had fear in his life. I think that Judas looked and he thought, you know what? God can't provide for me the way these people can provide for me. Jesus can't provide for me the way these people can provide for me because he sold, he sold Jesus off for a very small amount of money. He was scared that Jesus wasn't going to be able to provide that. And you can see what happens in Luke chapter 22. Now the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus for they were afraid of the people. Watch this. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guards and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Satan entered Judas. Judas may have been struggling with some cash. He was fearful. He thought, Jesus can't provide for me the way these people can. And so he sold, he sold Jesus off. And Satan entered Judas. Satan entered Judas because of his fear. He thought, these people can provide for me more than God can. I'm going to tell you something. God will take care of you, and he will actually bless you more in your finances when you're generous. That's just, it's just biblical. I'm going to give you some myths about church giving real fast. Uh, just a couple before we close. Number one. There's a myth that says, giving gains me God's favor. Giving actually doesn't gain you God's favor, okay? God favors you because you're his child, and so he loves you. However, giving gives God an opportunity to bless you. That's what it means. And so it's not that God sits and likes you more, or, or he just favors you so much more. It's that you've actually opened up and create opportunities for God to bless you. So giving does not gain you God's favor. It actually opens the door for God to bless you more. There's this idea called the prosperity gospel that says when I'm a Christian, everything in my life goes really well. 
when I'm a Christian, everything is all good, and if I give more, everything is all good. That's just wrong, okay? It, it's just, there is pastors that are actually preaching this in churches. Prosperity gospel is not true. The Bible says over and over again, you're going to face trials, you're going to hurt because you're a Christian. It's going to happen. The prosperity gospel is, is not true. However, when we give, we do give God more opportunities to bless us and bless our lives. That's what it looks like. <coughs> all right, number two myth. Giving is so the pastor can get wealthy. Okay, again, this is all over the place. If you go online, you can find social media accounts that are specifically designed to point out when pastors have nice shoes. It's called Preachers and Sneakers, okay? It's an Instagram account, and you can see it. And there are some pastors who have some very nice shoes. I'm not one of those pastors. But people often think, well, I'm just tithing so that this person can buy a nice car. This person can buy a... Uh, some new shoes or, or get a haircut or, you know, whatever it is. That's what we think when it comes to tithing. That's what we think when it comes to giving. I want to tell you that that's wrong. The amount that I'm paid does not change week to week based on if you give more or if you get less. It just doesn't, okay? Here's the thing. All of the money on earth is God's money. He can fund this operation by himself. It's not so that I can have nice shoes. It's not so that I can have a nice pickup. Have you seen my pickup? <laughs> it's, it's not something great, okay? I'm not sitting and trying to buy new things. I have a camper, but it's from 1983, okay? So we're fine on that. Your giving is not to make me wealthy. Your giving actually goes to make sure that we can reach other people and that we can bless other people and that we can help other people. We normally don't talk about this, but I'm going to give you some numbers real fast from this church specifically. Last year, this church gave over $18,000 in outreach. And that's because of you. That's not because we wanted new shoes and we wanted a new car. We gave $18,000 because of the generosity of the people of this church. That is amazing. That is amazing and something that we can praise about. But let me tell you something. It only goes up from here. We have the opportunity to bless so many people. And it's not just in Kwana. I'm telling you that. It's not. I went, I went out of town this week and got to minister to people. I went out of town twice this week and got to minister to people. And it's because of First Christian Church. When we give, it opens opportunity for us to bless other people. It's not for me. It's not so that I can get new shoes. You're not buying me new things. If you want to buy me new shoes, you can. I have very small feet. I wear nine and a half, but you can. <laughs> That's embarrassing. You shouldn't say that out loud. <laughs> but you can. You can definitely do that. All right, and the third myth is that tithing is Old Testament, which means you don't have to do it. We already kind of covered that. Tithing is actually in the New Testament and it was also predated the law. There are 7,000 promises of God in Scripture, uh, and each promise comes with a premise, comes with a condition that God says, you do this and I will do this for you. The number one condition that God lays out is generosity. The number one condition. Out of 7,000 promises, He says over and over again, if you are generous... There will be a blessing. And it's not just with finances. It's with time. It's with talent. It's with praise. If we're generous with our praise to God, there's a blessing that comes to that. It's not just with finances, but he talks about generosity most. Generosity is love in action. I'm going to ask you this. Again, I'm not married, but some of you married people. Can you actually love your spouse if you're never generous with them? If you're not generous with time, if you're not generous with help, if you're not generous with, with finances, if you're not generous with hugs, you can't. 
You cannot show love without being generous. John 3.16, For God so loved that He gave. Love and giving are connected. Generosity is love in action. Belief. The word belief is in the Bible 272 times. The word pray is in the Bible 371 times. The word love is in the Bible 714 times. But the word give is in the Bible 2,152 times. More than all of those words. God encourages us to give and be generous people. And we understand God's heart so much more when we're generous. I know I'm over time, so I'm going to read you a few promises. And I'm just going to shout out these references to you, and you can get your fast fingers. I know you all yell at me whenever I talk too fast, but you got to do what you got to do, okay? I'm going to read a few promises of generosity in our lives. Uh, And these are just important because it challenges us in the way that we live and in the way that we give. All right, generosity draws us closer to God. Whatever I invest in is what I'm interested in. Proverbs 14, 23 says, The righteous give without sparing. Matthew 6, 21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Generosity honors God. John just read in 2 Corinthians 9, 12, The service overflows in thanks and honor to God. Generosity makes me more like Jesus. Let me tell you something. Jesus was the most generous person on the face of this earth. Okay, the other day, actually, do you ever say that? Do you ever say the other day and it ends up being like two years ago? <laughs> a while back, I was with my nieces and we went to Sonic and Abilene. And I got my niece one of these mini M&M blizzards or what, blasts or whatever they're called. Whatever. Oh, you know. They're delicious. Those things are delicious. And I look over at Berkeley and I'm like, Berkeley... I want to buy it. So I reach for her spoon, and she literally slaps my hand. And I'm like, what? what?" I just, in my brain, I thought, I I just bought that for you. That's that's actually mine. That's my my blizzard. I'm just loaning it to you. That's 100% mine. And I, I just sat and kept thinking about how that correlates to God, how it correlates to Jesus. Jesus gives us so many things. And he asked for a very small bite of our sonic blast. And how often do we just slap his hand away? I'm just like, that, that's mine, God. Here's the thing. I didn't need that sonic blast. Blizzard? Blast. I didn't need that sonic blast. I didn't. I could have lived without it. But I wanted it. And I paid for it. Technically, it really was mine. God doesn't need your money. But I was like, you know what, Berkeley? You should be generous with me. I just bought that for you. And God is saying the same thing to us. He said, I sit and give you all of these things. I give you all these sonic blasts over and over and over again. The least you can do is give me one bite. The least you can do is show me your generosity in, in one bite. We're most like Jesus when we give. Generosity demonstrates my faith. It shows that I'm trusting in the promises of God. Generosity reveals my character. Uh, God uses money to test what's inside of us. He says, if you're faithful with little things, I'm going to give you lots of things. But if you're not faithful, I'm not going to give you anything. The Bible also says this. This is a very uncomfortable scripture. When you're untrustworthy with your earthly wealth, you won't be trusted with heavenly wealth. That's what he says. So, (coughs) giving reveals my character. Generosity brings God's blessing. Uh, Proverbs 22 says the generous will be blessed. And we also just read in Malachi that he wants to open the floodgates of blessing over our lives. Generosity actually multiplies my money. In 2 Corinthians, it says we are enriched 
when we're generous. We are enriched. That means more rich. I am more rich when I'm generous. Generosity brings God's protection. I want to tell you a story. I've told half of this story before, and I'm telling the other half. Uh, I was in Azerbaijan, and I uh, went to this house of this family that was having a house church. Um, and this little girl, I was playing guitar, and this little girl, she was seven or eight, and she was like, I really, I really want to learn to play guitar. I'm mean, obviously through a translator. I really want to learn to play guitar so I can lead this family in, in worship. I can lead this church in worship. And you ever have that feeling that, like, it's just instantly, you're like, I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to do something about this. And I had that feeling. And I was like, no, God. I am 18. I'm a missionary. I have no money. I'm not buying this girl a guitar. I just don't have the funds. So I leave. This goes on for a month, an entire month. Every time I see this girl, I get that thing. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to buy her a guitar. And this is the Middle East. So things are, like, super, super cheap. It wouldn't have cost very much, but I just kept saying, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Finally. God literally wakes me up in the middle of the night, and I'm just thinking about this little girl playing guitar for this church, and I'm just weeping. I'm like, i gotta, I got to buy that girl a guitar. So the next day, I go to this music store in town, and I bought her a guitar, and I take it to her. We sit, and I'm teaching her kind of how to play it. I've seen pictures and videos since then over the last few years, and, and it's beautiful, and she's still leading. She's got a new guitar now, but she's still leading them, and, and it's just wonderful. And that did something to my heart. It changed something in my heart where I look at giving differently now because it wasn't, I mean, I lost a little bit of money, but there's an eternal value that that had, an eternal impact that that little girl had. Then, a couple weeks later, I go to the airport, and I'm arrested. And I'm arrested for government fraud, and we've, I've told you this story. We've talked about this. It was a nasty, gnarly situation, but I sit <coughs> in this dark room. Somebody comes in. Somebody has paid for us and our team to be released, and so we're, we go home, and, and that's done. And I'm going to tell you that there's not a, I mean, it's not like because of this, this happened. It's not that kind of relationship. But there was protection over my life, guaranteed per- protection in Psalms 122, that the generous are protected. And I genuinely believe that the way that our team ministered and loved people in the Middle East, there was a protection over our lives, that things could have gone much, much worse. Things could have been much worse but they weren't because those that are generous are protected. Psalms 122. (laughs) I want to close today just with one little verse. The Bible says that we can't trust both God and money. And when I tithe, I'm choosing to put my money where my mouth is. I can sit and say I trust God over and over and over again. But until my money is where my mouth is, I'm still trusting money. Until I choose to back that up with something earthly, I'm still trusting money. So the question is, do we want to trust God or do we want to open the door to the lust of the eyes and believe that there's a better way, believe that something else is better for me? Let's pray. God, we love you. I thank you that we can come and we can have uncomfortable conversations and we can come and, and be vulnerable. God, I just pray that you would continue to challenge us, continue to lead us, continue to grow us. Uh, you are good and you are faithful. And we just submit this to you. Uh, I thank you that we can come with questions following this, uh, and, and you'll always answer and you'll be clear. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.